What's up, everyone? This is Must Go Faster, a pop culture podcast for the people. I'm your co-host, Ben Brailinger, broadcasting from Brooklyn. And out in Long Beach, California, I'm Robert Denfeld. So in this episode, uh, episode 16, uh, we're (laughs) talking the new Netflix shows, um, Mindhunter and Big Mouth. We're also going to talk about the return of Curb Your Enthusiasm, Uh review the new Blade Runner flick, as well as the new Steven Spielberg doc on HBO, and finally do some, uh, some chatter around vinyl records now yes. that i've gotten one and i know rob you've been uh itching <laughs> <wait>. to discuss <laughs> yeah that should be fun um but first we're gonna kick things off with the top five actually yes given that it is the month of october halloween we're gonna do some i think we're calling it top five october mood setter movies yes <laughs> is that correct correct <laughs> so uh yeah yeah let's 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 get into that rob do you want to give some context quick yeah, so um, let me set this up a little bit. Thanks, Ben. Um, this this list is called Top 5 October Mood Setter Movies. And the idea behind it is basically to capture the feeling of Halloween, October. Um, it's, you know, leading into autumn. The seasons are changing. Um, and it's just a time of year that people associate with movies and watching movies together, watching horror movies, watching their favorite Halloween classics, um, you know, classics from your childhood that you always watched around Halloween. And so we wanted to try to give some of our favorites, uh, create a list of things that we love to watch in October and things that really encapsulate the feeling of this time of year. Mm-hmm. So uh, we created a list of top five each and Ben is going to start. So why don't you go five through one and give us your top five October mood setter movies. Sounds good. So yeah, I think that these five will really get your mind right for uh, October and Halloween. Nice. So my number five is Psycho, uh, the Alfred Hitchcock classic from 1960. Uh-huh. Um you know, this movie doesn't need really any introduction. I imagine no. everyone listening to this podcast has a pretty good idea of the movie Psycho and why it's so important. But right. this had to be on my list. Um, of course, you have the iconic character of Norman Bates. Um, it's really just the setting of the film, you know, the hotel that it takes place in. Uh, you know, it's shot in black and white. There's mm-hmm. the score that is so... Um, you know, memorable and one of the most iconic scores in film history. Oh, yeah. And this movie, I just imagine, like, when it first came out, um, it shocked audiences. It was really kind of the first truly great horror movie. I mean, there are scenes, like the shower scene, entire movies right. have been made about that scene itself. Yeah. Like, literally, I think there's this this movie, this documentary breaking down that 92-minute, <laughs> you know, 90-second Yeah, it's, it's studied in film classes across the country and the Absolutely. world. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, one really, I mean, I'm not going to go down, you know, the million reasons why this movie is so great, but I will say it, it holds up very well. I think it could be released today and it would do just as well. It, you know, has a a moderate pace, but it's, it's just totally engrossing and something that, you know, if you have kind of like a bias of like, oh, black and white movies, like, oh, there's just a more of a color guy, you know, things like (laughs) that. It it really does feel very current and it's still just as, uh, you know terrifying intriguing and as for good sure as when it came out in 1960 just to be clear this is the alfred hitchcock 1960 release not the gus van sant 
shot for shot remake starring Vince, Vince Vaughn. <laughs> I do want I do want to see that actually. I am I yeah. am kind of uh, curious to see. Are how you that sure? Works. Well, I, I don't know. No. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll try it try it yeah. out. But no, uh, I mean it's not it's not horrible. It's not a complete throwaway. But obviously the Hitchcock classic is is the one to watch. Yeah, interesting to do a shot by shot remake. It's like Very why weird. do the yeah. remake right just in color, but. He just wanted to work with Vince Vaughn, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that is my number five. Uh, going to my number four was kind of bringing things to this decade is It Follows. Nice. So this came out in 2014. Um, for those that aren't familiar with this movie, it's about a young woman who's followed by an unknown supernatural force after a sexual encounter is kind mm-hmm. of the setup. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but this movie, it's really kind of a throwback to like the 70s and 80s classic horror movies it reminds me of like nightmare on elm street yeah in the sense that it like follows this group of teens there's like really no adults in the picture it's in this like suburbia midwest america Uh i think it takes place in like michigan i want to say and it's just it's a really fun scary original movie that i think people should really check it out yeah if if they haven't um it did pretty well like it was one of the you know most acclaimed horror movies of that year uh-huh. uh but i still feel like yeah it's not you know uh, something that's like you know super popular and i think if people haven't checked out this one and they want um something that's again yeah really gonna fit with the you know kind of when you think halloween type mood movies i think this uh-huh. one really fit fits the bill and um yeah. i returned that blu-ray version or your copy uh, of your blu-ray right you did i want to say a, a, a uh, After about the eighteen months, film, yeah. yeah, I have down sixteen months. But, right, okay. you know, who's keeping count? Yeah, I, yeah I once <laughs> let you borrow this Blu-ray, and it was it was over a year you had it. I think we just I just forgot. I mean, I had seen it a few times, yeah. but uh, yeah. At one point, I was like, oh yeah, like oh yeah, just, I own. Trying that to get movie. that Blu-ray back, yeah. right, right. You had it for so long, I thought you owned it. Yeah, and I wanted to borrow it from you, but no, I think it, it's, it's on. Mine. Uh, for people out there, I think it's on Netflix right now, so they can check it out on Netflix. Yeah, really cool movie. It follows one of my favorite horror movies of the last, you know, 10, 20 years. So cool. that is my number four. Moving on to number three, getting back to the older classics is The Shining. Oh, yeah. Obviously, again, like Psycho, don't need to say too much here, but yeah. uh, I'm not even, you know, it's like, what is there left to be said about this film? I don't even, right. I don't even feel like I need to say anything about this on the list. I just, just like The Shining, self-explanatory, right. but... um. I will say, I remember first watching this movie at your apartment sophomore year of college and really specifically remember like not being able to shake the feeling after seeing it. Totally. It followed me for a few days. Yeah. There was something about it. I mean, there's a lot of just like moments and aesthetic choices and performances that really do kind of just, once you see it, it just kind of sticks in your mind and... Jack Won't Torrance, and Jack Torrance's yeah. eyes, and some of those shots of the Shelley Duvall's close-ups. Face. Yeah, the close-ups <laughs> of Jack Torrance's eyes and and face yeah. and reaction shots are just haunting. Yeah, and you know this is an epic film. I think it's like two and a half hours. Um, the atmosphere is so amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. it all takes place in this isolated uh, Overlook Hotel. Right. Um, you know, it's a very wintry mm-hmm. setting. It's not necessarily the fall, but. It's just, I mean, Kubrick is such a mood-inducive type director, and right. I would say that this is his moodiest of all <laughs> movies, which is yeah. saying a lot. So, Shining is my number three. Going to my number two, different genre here, I'm going to say, is The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Yes. Actually, and this technically isn't even a movie. 
it's a 30 minute TV Short. episode that aired yeah. back in 1966. But uh-huh. you know, this is our podcast, and I don't care. What <laughs> yeah. Here. So I'm throwing in a TV episode, <laughs> right? And this movie it has such a nostalgia factor for me. I definitely grew up watching it. And it really captures the essence of what it's like to experience like Halloween as a kid. And, sure. I mean, it's a cartoon. But um, I just really love the illustrations and, again, the setting. You know, they're trick-or-treating. It follows the storyline of this this kind of like mythical great pumpkin. Uh-huh. And um, I actually own, I think last year I bought this DVD as like a combo pack that oh, nice. includes... A Charlie Brown Christmas, Christmas. which is a, yeah. if we do Christmas mood setters, that's going to be in my top five yeah, as well. Yeah, that's great too. Uh, major Christmas mood. So nice. Yeah, I think that's something. I think they, ABC, I think they did it this past week. They air it once uh, once a year in October. Yeah, I saw um, that. I didn't get a chance to watch it this year. I haven't seen it in a few years or I don't know, yeah. maybe, maybe even close to a decade. But um, I, I remember it being sort of like haunting and not, yeah, not in is. like a not in a scary way <laughs> but sort of like the isolation of childhood yeah. way and like the tone of that uh yeah yeah so it's definitely a great choice totally totally and i think yeah all ages can enjoy it it's obviously yeah. like it's a cartoon it's mainly meant for kids but i think um it's timeless and adults can enjoy it as well so that's my number two and rounding off my top five halloween october mood setter movies yes. is of course halloween yeah the 1978 Classic from jo- uh, John Carpenter. This Great is choice. the ultimate Halloween movie. The film itself takes place on Halloween day. The film night. itself is called Halloween. <laughs> right, Halloween, I mean. And I watch this every October. I throw it on. Really, like, more than any... There's a reason why it's my number one. Yeah. To get in the mood. Um, it has everything you could want out of a Halloween October mood setter movie. Nice. <laughs> it has, you know, the atmosphere with the fall weather, the trick-or-treating... A guy getting impaled on a hook. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> which is, yeah, you know, a staple of any great Halloween movie. But, um, of course, it follows the the uh, the villain, Michael Myers. This is his first appearance. And it has that amazing score. I actually looked to getting in on vinyl, and it was $200. I think there's, like, oh, a really wow. limited supply. So I was like, ah, I love the score. Not $200 yeah. worth. We'll get into the vinyl soundtracks later. Oh, totally, totally. I'm a big fan of them. Yeah, yeah. And... This movie really set the conventions of so many other horror movies, and it really invented the slasher genre, and it's uh-huh. it's so simple, but extremely effective. It's low budget. It's just a really, you know, great script, mm-hmm. the atmosphere, the performances. Um, it takes place, I believe, in uh, Illinois or Indiana. I forget the exact town, but um, this really is the, the ultimate uh, mood setter for the month of, of October and Halloween. So those totally. are my top five. How many uh, uh, sequels yeah. slash remakes have been done of that movie? Like nine. Yeah, and they're all I pretty can't terrible. even keep some, track. Yeah, some are better than others. As with most uh, horror, you know, right. trilogies or franchises, the original is by far the best, and yeah. Halloween is no exception. But I mean, if you want some Mike Myers, and again, I think the others still capture they all i think take place right around halloween and they still capture that essence so yeah if you were to bang out like you know a marathon of the seven halloween movies that would really <laughs> uh, you know be fitting so yeah, take off work <laughs> right yeah yeah the next day right yeah yeah um so rob what are your what are your top five here all right so our lists are pretty similar in a way which i i like um so i'm gonna start off with number five is 2001's Donnie Darko. 
uh, which is the Jake Gyllenhaal classic. Interesting uh, yeah, a big, a big uh, hit during our adolescence and high school years. Um, I remember seeing it, um, I think when I was a freshman in high school or so, maybe just after it got out of the theaters. Um, and, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal in this role, just it, it's sort of like the quintessential autumn movie for me. It just, it, the tone and... Uh, like it's just so dark and fantastical in nature. It feels mm-hmm. feels Halloween, uh, Halloweeny. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. There's a, the famous scene at the Halloween party uh, where Donnie um, wears this skeleton skeleton costume, like the onesie, and he loses his virginity at that party. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also where he sees that bunny costume, uh, which becomes like his vision later in the movie. Yeah, Frank, um, and correct? that, that has become sort of a, a big. Uh, Halloween costume in our culture since the movie came out. So uh, for me, yeah, it just kind of felt like a an autumn slash Halloween uh, staple. So for my number four, I decided to go with a classic horror film in every sense of the word. I had to get at least one horror film on this list um yeah i would think I went that with, would be you would have to get at least one horror film <laughs> yeah you gotta get you gotta get like a slasher bloody bloody mess right. um i went with the texas chainsaw massacre oh. the 1974 original film Love it. not one of the the remakes that not the come jessica out, just like Beale halloween remake <laughs> no i did see that though yeah, yeah. um not, so not that the 1974 yeah exactly uh the 1974 version um this is really like the true or first true like slasher quote unquote horror movie that I can remember being sort of like absolutely terrified by. Like Mm -hmm. it just haunted me and then totally scared me. Um, It's not a slasher in the knife sense of the word, but it is about a man who wears a mask uh, called Leatherface and tortures a group of teens and young adults uh, at his like isolated farmhouse. Um, by butchering them with a chainsaw uh he hangs he hangs them up on meat hooks while living and yeah. another uh, hook, you know uh yeah lot, lot i mean the meat hooks for... the meat hooks are just a staple of this time of year yeah low low budget kind of similar to halloween in the yeah. sense that it's it's a pretty like simple and straightforward narrative it's low budget mm-hmm. it follows a you know a group of kid you know or teenagers mm-hmm. and um is just super effective and influential yeah. and really laid a lot of the groundwork of like movies to come that totally try to copy it. And I remember the ending is so terrifying. The last like five minutes in the way when oh, yeah. it cuts to the credits, like the decisions that they make, we won't, I guess fully spoil it, but it's, um, I watched this again, like two years ago. I think nice. the first time I saw it was, was in college probably with you. Uh-huh. And, um, it, it was very powerful. <laughs> it's so and, scary. Yeah. And, and dreadful totally so, yeah it, yeah, it yeah. did like you said it, it did lay the groundwork and uh for a lot of like tropes and and things that uh a lot of modern horror movies uh use and and play on um so number three getting away from the uh bloody mess horror movie um i'm going with a comedy here mm. so i love a good parody or satirical film and to me there's nothing better than mel brooks and gene wilder teaming up in the 1974 classic Young Frankenstein, Mm. um, which also came out in 1974, just like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is kind of funny. 
to me, this is the ultimate parody film. You know, uh, Mel Brooks is sort of known for this. Uh, he built his career making these epic comedy parodies. And I love Young Frankenstein. It's probably my favorite of his movies and maybe his biggest hit. Um, apparently, Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks really teamed up on writing this script and coming up with this idea. And they're both sort of credited for its uh, success. And of course, Gene Wilder. R.I.P. Yeah, definitely. Rest in peace. Uh, such a good actor. But his portrayal of um, Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> right. Yeah, not it's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah, right. It's just so memorable. Frankenstein. You're putting me on. No, it's pronounced Frankenstein. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. I love Marty Feldman playing Igor. Oh yeah, uh, he just yeah he just makes me laugh totally every time looks I see him. Like an Igor, and <laughs> totally a, and a hunchback. Yeah. I don't know. Like yeah, his hunch. Uh, yeah, it's so good, and his eyes are just so memorable. And um, yeah, his his hump famously moves from one side to the other throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, is it Cloris or Floris Leachman plays uh, Frau Blucher? <laughs> Um, and of course, Peter Boyle uh, as the monster. Yeah. Very memorable and great performance. Um, so yeah, I just love a good satire. It's it's light, um, it's fun, but it still has that feel of Halloween and Frankenstein. And yeah, all the, black and white. Yeah. It's totally, yeah, it's like a comedy in a horror setting, totally. know, essentially. And I, I watched this again, I think, last year in tribute to Gene Wilder's passing. Nice. Yeah, it's super funny. Uh, my dad loves this movie. I, uh -huh. I kind of grew up watching it a bit. And uh, yeah, it's an excellent, excellent choice. Yeah. And I actually have this uh, soundtrack on vinyl, oh, by the way. Just nice. another <laughs> shout out to vinyls. <laughs> um, so my number two, I'm going to go with uh, another classic of our childhood um, and many childhoods in this country. Uh, it is E.T., the Extraterrestrial, directed by Steven Spielberg, uh, came out in 1982. Mm -hmm. um, this movie, to me, just sort of uh, encapsulates the suburban America Halloween setting and feel. Spielberg was able to capture that feeling of trick-or-treating, what it means to our culture. There's the famous scene of E.T. trick-or-treating with Elliot and his brother. He's dressed as a ghost with, like, the white sheet over him. Yeah. Uh, and he he famously passes by Yoda. Shout out to uh, Spielberg's good friend George Lucas and Star Wars, which had just come out. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just love this movie. It, it's actually really really scary if in a sense <laughs> of times, the word like yeah. when i was a kid it scared the crap out of me like et and just uh you know the beginning and like the the spaceship landing and and the way the adults are portrayed as like the enemies uh it just really scared me as a kid yeah. so also I like a lot to watch of this. if i remember correctly a lot of reese's pieces for eating. sure yeah or and that's yeah i mean candy <laughs> reese's chocolate pieces. Right, yeah, that's uh, that's a great candy, and I don't know, just or, like or Reese's pieces, but right, I say Reese's, Reese's pieces. Is it Reese's pieces? <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyway, it's Reese's it, pieces, but every uh, a lot of people pieces. say Reese's pieces. Yeah, you're not yeah. alone in that. Man, that sounds crazy. Um, yeah. But yeah, that is something that like 
again ties into the whole Halloween mood for sure that I remember from this movie. So yeah. what's your what's your number one? All right, my number one. I had to go with this movie. It is 1993's Hocus Pocus. Oh yeah, uh, you ride for Hocus Pocus. I remember. I ride right? hard for this movie. Um, the reasons being mostly that I watched it so many times as a kid. Um, yeah. My my grandparents had a copy of this on VHS at my, at their lake house. And so anytime me and my brother or, and my cousins were down there, uh, we would watch this movie around Halloween. Uh, I've probably seen it upwards of 20 times in full. Wow. Um, the Sanderson sisters are so iconic, uh, like these iconic witch characters, Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, and another woman that I, I'm not sure her name. Um, uh, Thackeray Binks, the cat, like such a such a memorable character and voice. Um, I had the top five bi- cat, yeah, top, top five, five cat movie role cat for sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, I had the biggest crush on uh, Vanessa Shaw, who plays uh, Max's love interest, Allison, in the movie. I just I was very uh, taken Sweet. by her as a as a young kid and young teen. Kid. So um, yeah, and yeah. even even now she's she does something for me. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that just had to be my number one seed. It's such an iconic Halloween movie and uh, very beloved by people our age and our generation. So, uh, yeah, so that's our top five Halloween slash October mood setter movies. Uh, I hope you guys... I hope you guys enjoyed that and got something out of that and maybe a recommendation or a, a little tip for something to watch coming up. Yeah, and just to kind of wrap up this segment, I wanted to do a quick shout-out to kind of this tradition. I started... I want to say five or six years ago, kind of when I first moved up to New York, and that is this horror film month yeah. marathon that I do with my two former roommates. Uh, shout out to John and Zachy, who we were living together for many years. Um, we all moved in with our girlfriends recently, so we're no longer, uh, you know, living together. But we're actually doing a kind of consolidated version of this uh, horror film month as well. But that's cool. The way the way it works, Keep traditions actually, alive. Totally, totally, is we would each nominate five horror films that we are putting out there to that we should view. So it'd be 15 total, but each of us has a veto power to okay. eliminate one film from the other, uh-huh. so, uh, from each of us. So you basically end up with three from each participant, so nine total in one month, which is ambitious, but definitely doable yeah. because we do it and we actually (laughs) schedule it out with like calendar invites um you know light some candles get a pumpkin going Mm -hmm. orange christmas lights really set the mood and um yeah it's something that we really always look forward to and uh we've gotten pretty organized with it i do like the veto power of really just shutting down right uh, one of their movies i get a power (laughs) trip from that so i enjoy (laughs) that and uh we're doing it this year um, since, yeah, it's harder since we're not all living together. We're doing right. kind of like a micro version with Have only like, uh, um, three, three films total. But movie movie club Wednesday night or something. Yeah. Well, I'm actually, we're watching the first one tonight, uh, which is Audition, the oh, nice. Japanese horror yeah. film that I don't think any of us have ever seen. So we're uh-huh. doing that. Cool. Um, I haven't seen that. I've heard it's the, really good. Yeah, same, same. The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which was John's recommendation, which okay. is at like a 88 on Rotten Tomatoes, so I'm down. And nice. then 28 Weeks Later, the sequel yeah. to 28 Days Later, which I've never seen. So we're going to be doing all those before uh, the 31st. So cool. yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to that because that's like a big um, staple of you know our horror film viewing in the month of October and something that we really look forward to. So yeah, shout for out sure. I, I feel like October is the 
probably the most or the the month that has the most people like do some sort of movie watching or TV show watching totally. event with friends or yeah. or like you know with a girlfriend or boyfriend you're like let's just watch all horror movies this month or let's watch you know our favorite five like like we just talked about so yeah um i'm glad i'm glad you guys have that tradition going awesome so let's uh switch gears over to i think something that kind of fits in the halloween october mood giving the subject matter definitely but is a new show on netflix called mind hunter mm-hmm. which i think is really it came out about a week ago um we're recording this on uh Sunday the uh, 22nd, 22nd. Yeah. but it's really it actually came um, out uh, October 13th Friday the 13th but oh yeah yeah, yeah good call and um, I'm really digging this show so it's David Fincher produced uh, it's based off the book of the same name takes place in the 70s follows two FBI agents played by Jonathan Groff and Holt um, McConnell uh, I think it's McElhaney McElhaney, yeah, good call. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're basically at the forefront of trying to get inside the minds of convicted serial killers. So they travel around America, interviewing various ones, getting involved in certain cases. And this is really at a time where it was basically like taboo to try to understand these killers. Right. Most of the FBI just kind of wanted to execute them, and they saw yeah. it in a very black and white situation, uh-huh. which, yeah, you can understand, but they're really like pioneers as far as getting inside the minds of them to kind of help solve cases in the future yeah. and understand them, and it was all for like kind of the greater good. So this is a 10-episode series, I believe, and I'm five mm-hmm. episodes in, oh, nice. and I want to say I borderline love this show. Yes. Um, in a lot of ways. Rob, you said I, I think you watched four episodes the night it came out. Is I that did. correct? <laughs> I did. And it, it totally like just happened accidentally. Like, right? Yeah. You were, I, I, you were I, trying to. Yeah. No, oh, I started. This, I was like, oh, this came out today. Uh, maybe I'll, you know, watch one or two. And, you know, my girlfriend Natalie was working and I was like home alone at night. So I was like, oh, I'll put one on. And all of a sudden it was four episodes later. And, uh, <laughs> And then yeah, Natalie right. Natalie the walks morning. in and she's like, "What episode are you on?" <laughs> right. yeah. um, I'm rewatching yeah, the entire yeah. season. No, the episodes just really uh, flowed together nicely, and you know how Netflix does it, where one ends and the other one, like oh, yeah. you know, five seconds later starts, and you're like, "Well, it started." I'm, I'm right. Here. Really, tra- I'm not gonna like, <laughs> like hit. Let stop. me go get a I drink. Mean, it's telling me, <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, this show, I, there's no borderline about it. I loved it. Um, I've finished <laughs> it. Uh, I finished it a few days ago. Oh, you um, finished it. Yeah. yeah I, I watched all 10 episodes. It, I mean, it just goes, it moves quickly. Um, yeah. it has an amazing, uh, 1970s soundtrack was something that I loved about it. Um, the mm-hmm. acting is amazing, obviously. So David Fincher, you said produced, but he, uh, he directed uh, the first two episodes and then the last two episodes. And, you know, David Fincher, his directorial style and and the way he sort of tonally does things just it works so well for this genre. And oh, for this yeah. He was born to make matter. this kind of oh, yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of his first movie or his uh, biggest one of his first movies, Seven. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, obviously Zodiac, which is about... Yeah you know, a serial killer. Um, so yeah, I just, I love this show. It, it, um, I don't know. So it, it avoided becoming sort of like a procedural drama series, but it does have, <clears throat> excuse me, it does have sort of some of the tropes of 
that sort of show um it has yeah some like there's the scene go ahead the scene of like the fbi boss like yelling at the two detectives like you're off this case you know right, things right. like that that are impossible to avoid and some of the dialogue is kind of like expository where it's it's clearly meant to just like purely move the plot along and like describe something but still though i mean having said that i think it does I give a, a ton of credit for, you know, it, I've heard people compare it a bit to the, to the wire mm-hmm. in how it, like you said, it moves slow. I mean, moves quickly, which I think is more evident, like in episodes like four and five, uh-huh. um, it starts to pick up, but overall I think it does take its time. And I really, well, appreciate yeah, you're that right. You're it, right. It's very character based. They spend a lot of time, especially on the two detectives, um, you know, their girlfriends and wives and, mm-hmm. you know, some other key characters. And it really shows what really reminded me about the wire for this is that it shows like just how hard a work, like being a detective is. It's just like a series yeah. of like small victories, but major setbacks. It's a grind. Totally. It's not some like dream where you just go in and solve everything in yeah. a night and you're just like high fiving. It's, it's, it's I think really he- like, you know really tough work yeah um i think one of the main characters even says i I, it's like one step forward two steps back in in Mm. one of the episodes so yeah kind of like the progress of uh this great nation we live in. yeah exactly Uh, so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so the while the i was gonna say while the pace is slow though it's always really engaging right that's what Um, i was gonna say losing interest that's exactly what i was about to say it's like yeah it does I said it moves quickly. I think it's just because I was so engrossed by the story and the acting and the the filmmaking. I was just, you know, staring at the screen, just totally transfixed by it. But it does, there are, you know, it takes its time. It's paced, it's paced properly for the subject matter. Um, And it feels familiar and relatable to other shows, but it has like, you know, the, the Fincher, the Fincher, uh, uh, effect and and just sort of some of the other escalated filmmaking uh, qualities to it uh, just just put it above sort of some of the, like the CSI type ish uh, you know shows that it could be compared oh, totally. to yeah what's way more like sophisticated oh than yeah, that. And yeah there's tons of like nuance and nice touches like I just like uh-huh. things like you know it's following these two detectives that are in and out of like you know, these airplanes and hotel rooms and diners right. and like, you yeah. know, just things like, you know, uh, like drinking like Miller High Life a lot by the right. pool and, you know, there's uh-huh. just like a lot of coffee and cigarette smoking and just things that yeah, kind of the add 1970s the vibe. Yeah. Right. Totally. The production totally. value of all those in the, the set design and everything and uh, costume yeah. design and everything. You really feel like you're you're watching these guys do their job in, in this time, 1977. And um, I want to um, shout out the performance of it's playing a real life serial killer back in the seventies called uh, Ed Kemper, who's uh-huh. nicknamed the co-ed killer. He shows right. up in episode two. Uh-huh. He's played by this guy, uh, Cameron Britton, who uh-huh. um, I'd never heard of before, but this Me killer, neither. I mean, he's, I mean, his real life history is like really disturbing, but yeah. the performance, I mean, just the, the sheer size of him and like <laughs> the sound when he's walking around, like oh, he's yeah. like, a gi- like a giant, yeah. literally like not even like a human, and just like the sound of the chains that are trapped to him, and like delivery of his lines, the writing is so good with him. It's like yeah. the more you learn about his past and his point of view, it's just like yeah, the more just engrossing it all becomes. And yeah. I even watched some YouTube interviews of the real life Ed Kemper, and I oh, confirmed nice. that he totally nails it. So if you want to you know dive into that, feel free to. They're they're on YouTube. Cool. But uh, that was like the most. Um, I mean, there's the two 
you know, perf- uh, performances by the detectives are great, but yeah, his was like the biggest standout for me so far. And totally. Like when he comes in, eyes. yeah, yeah, I was I was loving the show, but when he comes in, it really uh, it takes a step up, and you're just like, wow, this is this is amazing in that first interview. And it's interesting. So the credits of this show are the or it's the uh, audio recorder that they use to record some of these first interviews with these serial killers. And uh, so I was thinking how much of these interviews that we see, you know, uh, reenacted, how much are, how much are uh, word by word uh, reenactments of the actual interviews? I was curious about that. Like I'd love to see or read the transcriptions of the actual interviews to see how, how closely they stuck to what was actually said in those in those interviews in the prisons. What do you think about that? Totally. I mean, I think this book that's based is like pulled from just actual recordings yeah. um, from these interviews and just adds to the overall authenticity of, of the show. Yeah, and it's cool how they were talking about writing this book. So this starts in 77. I think in this season we get to like 78, 79. Yeah. Um, but... Anna Torv plays uh, Wendy Carr, and she she comes in and helps the two detectives sort of hone their idea and and what they're gonna be focusing on in these interviews and like how to scientifically break down these these serial killers yeah, to get some sort them. of yeah some sort of like actual scientific results rather than just like yeah these guys are messed up you know um so she really focused them and and gave them the idea to write this book which was released originally in 1995 so they really i mean put i don't know 16 or you know close to 20 years of research and and authentic work into this into this book um and the last thing i wanted to mention uh i've sure i'm sure you've watched five episodes they've had the the little uh, snippets at the beginning of episodes with the guy yeah, in the Kansas. Yeah, the cold openings that are very ambiguous. Yeah, the ADT yeah. Uh, security system employee who, you know, has access to people's houses. Um, so that guy, I'm not going to spoil, spoil it. it right? No, yeah. I'm not going to spoil an eye, it. Keep an eye on him. <laughs> yeah, keep an eye on that guy. Um, I'm not, there's not necessarily... Uh, well, I won't even say that, but, uh, just don't just, you've said too much. (laughs) No, I think he's going to be, I think that character and that storyline is going to be the thread that sort of ties seasons of this show together. Yeah. I saw season two is, is already announced and it's going to be focusing on these, these like really gruesome, like child murders from, uh, Atlanta, uh, back in, I think the eighties, I'm almost positive that that has been, sounds like a real hoot. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm going to be a new, I also just like how they, you know, the two detectives really tour like across these random pockets of America. Yeah. And, you know, it's just very, um, you know, just showing all these different sides, you know, in middle America and the South and the East and West Coast. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think this is one of my favorite shows of the year so far. And For I sure. can't wait to finish it. I'm, I'm definitely going to be finishing it over the next the next few days nice. um, before Stranger Things comes out. There's uh, a yeah. watch out for the last episode. There's a, a, a really quality Ed Kemper scene. Oh my god, I'm excited. <laughs> right. um, so yeah. let's uh, move on to another Netflix show that I would say is a bit different than what we just talked about. <laughs> Very but this much. is one that you expressed um, a lot of enthusiasm over text for me to mm-hmm. watch, and that mm-hmm. is uh, it's called Big Mouth. So Rob, do you want to? 
give a few minutes on this show and why you're why you're digging it. Yeah. So have you been able to check out any episodes? I watched the uh, the pilot episode. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Sweet. So you you at least know the world that we're talking <laughs> vibe, about here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. So it's a 10 episode first season, uh, most episodes around 30 minutes on Netflix, uh, released on September 29th. Uh, the, one of the taglines I read uh, was funny, uh, coming of age all over the place. And yeah. <laughs> another pun, tagline. Pun intended. Yeah. Teenage friends find their lives upended by the wonders and horrors of puberty. Yeah. So that really sums up the show. This show uh, is created by Nick Kroll and Andrew Goldberg who were actually childhood best friends, which you can really feel in this show. There's a lot of like personal story uh, or personal, you know, memories that, that come through and you can just tell that, uh, you know, some of the things really happened to these two guys. Um, it's, it's hilarious. Like this show features more belly laughter than I can remember watching any show. Um, I just, I just loved it, and I, I feel like I watched it with a grin on my face the you entire watched, you time. You watched the season? I, yes, I did. In one sitting? I mean, it, they're 30-minute episodes. Yeah, yeah, I think I we, we knocked it out in, like, two or three days. Um, yeah, yeah. So some of the it, – it's an amazing cast. I mentioned Nick Kroll. He does three voices, three pro- prominent characters, but I think he also does a few other small characters, but – um, also, John Mulaney, Jason Mansukis, uh, Jenny Slate, Jesse Klein, Maya Rudolph, Fred Armisen, and Jordan Peele plays the ghost of Duke Ellington, which is uh, just funny in its own right. Um, yeah. Some of the episode titles, Ejaculation, Everybody Bleeds, Am I Gay? <laughs> Girls Are Horny Too, Requiem for a Wet Dream, and The Pornscape. So this show is just, I mean, it's just hilarious. Even the titles are funny. It's all about, uh, you know, adolescence, going through puberty, uh, dealing with changes to your body. Um, It's so funny. It's so relatable. And it has a lot of heart to it, even though it's like this ridiculous comedy. Um, The animation is really well done. It's, It's kind of simple. Um, but it's, it's soothing and it's easy to watch and it, it puts, it allows the writing and voice acting to like take the forefront of the focus of this show. Um, the opening credit song, I definitely wanted to mention, it's called changes by Charles Bradley. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah, awesome. He recently it's like, passed away. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't right, know that. Right. But yeah, he's peace. a great, great, like soul singer. Do not take the option of uh, skipping the intro, which Netflix Netflix allows. Uh, it's an amazing opening and and gets you into it. It's pretty short. Uh, yeah, so um, I love this show. I highly recommend it to people. I mean, it sounds like very you know lowbrow. It is. It it's is crude and vile. <laughs> I mean, pubescent. I, obviously, yeah. I mean, you rattle off those It's very songs funny, titles. right? Yeah, and I think yeah, you're. I had never heard of it until you texted me about it. I don't think I know anyone else watching it, but I, I watched the pilot and. You know, it is jarring to see like a cartoon like this. It reminded me of like when I saw Sausage Party, when you mm-hmm. see like an almost like an R-rated cartoon, you right. know, in a sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I can understand, uh, you know, kind of you know, the humor and appealing. It, it depends on your sense of humor. For me, I couldn't really get into it as much, but um, it's definitely, uh, you know, it's different and it has, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, 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 would... it's vile and, you know, it, it, it is like, <laughs> I think you need to be, it's a specific type of like comedy and especially yeah. when you combine it with like a cartoon, I think you need to be like in the right, 
in the right uh, mindset for it. But I think vile vile's a little harsh. It is graphic at times and and a little childish. But it, it like I said, it is very adult. I think it's intended for adults to reminisce Whoa. on their oh, childhood and totally and it's going not through these things. Yeah, Don't, but yeah, I'm sure it'll be a hit kids. with. It's going to be a huge hit with teenagers if it's not already. Right, um, right, for sure. Yeah, so I loved it. Highly recommend it. Uh, I would recommend to you to give it a few more episodes. I know the first episode is definitely not the best episode of all 10. So, mm-hmm. yeah, give it a few more. It's it's definitely worth watching. So um, let's move on to one other show that we, we definitely wanted to hit on, and that is the return of Larry David's Curb Your Enthusiasm. So they just started uh, their ninth season. This is their first since 2011 and took a bit of a hiatus. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, just kind of wanted to give some initial thoughts on this first set of uh, three episodes. Rob, I know you said you've only seen the premiere, right? Yes, I've only watched yeah, yeah. the first one. Yeah, a little behind so, on this one. Right, right. I mean, the premiere, I mean, I know you're you're a cur- curb purist and <laughs> I, you got me into it in college. Um, it was something, yeah, I had never uh, myself really uh had watched much of before uh-huh. college but i know you had like i think every single season on dvd yeah at binders. the time so, yeah uh, yeah we watched a lot of it during then and the premiere it really to me it felt like they wanted to quickly remind people of like why you like the show you know it, yeah. it quickly gets into um oh that's my apartment buzzer i'm gonna ignore that for now okay <laughs> uh so uh it has you know the, the certain catchphrases and characters that you kind of love the setups right. it's kind of like Oh, let us remind you quickly, you know, why, why you love Kirby yeah. enthusiasm. But, um, it's kind of like going through the greatest hits of like, you know, the pretty, pretty good, you <laughs> yeah. know, line. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's still hilarious. Like the first, the premiere, especially like it was definitely some touchy stu- subjects that, you know, it's not interested in being politically correct in 2017. And it almost feel, felt like a conscious decision that we're going to be like, yeah, we're going to talk about this stuff and we don't care. Totally. Kind of like backlash. And yeah, that's just kind of like how, how the show is. I mean, it, I, I would say though, like, and I've seen the the first three episodes, uh-huh. um, that overall it does feel a little, um, I don't know, ham fisted. I want to say, like, sure. it just felt like a little too goofy and far fetched. Um, yeah. Episode two, especially, was was just a bit of a dud. It was yeah. um, too long. Huh. It was like I don't know, like thirty five, forty minutes, and I I don't know. I just felt like it yeah. Just, so it was uh, the first episode. Yeah, and it almost feels like you know Larry David. I love him, but he feel like he he got back into this. Um, show because like he was bored and wanted something to do i don't know right. like so far it just hasn't really been uh too strong and as much as i like curb um it is kind of you know like a one-dimensional show like i actually can't watch more than like two at a time before kind oh of yeah getting sick of it you know because it's like just kind of like up. the same thing yeah, yeah like there's only so i larry david is a genius but there's only so much of him you can take it a time yeah. and i don't know that's kind of like my overall uh, take on on these first couple episodes is that um, I don't know. I mean, it's great to see, have it back, but I haven't been a huge fan of the, this new batch of episodes. I'll be quick here because I've only watched the first one, but I agree with you. I was a little disappointed by the first episode and have not been inspired to watch the the new episodes or or past the first. I will eventually probably watch most of it or all of it, but. Uh, yeah, I wasn't very uh, wasn't very inspired by the first episode, and it it felt a little stale, uh, like yeah. you said, and just a little forced and retread of yeah, like it's always yeah. been it's always been cringeworthy, but now it's just sort of like I don't know if it's 
the time, you know, like the time we're in right now, or just Larry sort of lost his lost a few miles per hour off his fastball, but um, (laughs) it just doesn't have the same effect right now for me. And yeah, I'm slightly disappointed by it, but I'm sure, you know, there's, it's funny. There's definitely like a great episode in this season. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's a comedy legend. uh, There isn't a comedy like this on TV, even when it's not as good, it's still unique in a lot of ways, but uh, yeah, I just seems like either of us aren't feeling this season so far. So, you know, maybe um, we'll pick up, you know, curb talk uh, later in the season if there's, yeah. uh, you know, some episodes that are more worthy of talking sure. about. But just that we wanted to bring that up. Um, let's get into uh, some some movie talk yeah. a bit. And that, we I know we both watched this uh, Steven Spielberg two and a half hour documentary on uh-huh. HBO about his career. Um, and yeah, we wanted we wanted to, you know, spend some time on it. So uh, Rob, what, what were your, I mean, I don't know, Spielberg, it's like, we're not going to dissect his entire career here, <laughs> right. but um, there are some key things I wanted to bring up about the documentary that I really liked. Yeah. Um, so it's called Spielberg on HBO and you can, you know, find it on HBO go, or I'm sure it airs yeah, on yeah, television yeah. Uh, quite often. You can record it or however you do it, but um, you it, it. Yeah. TiVo. <laughs> exactly. People TBR still use that then. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's two and a half hours. It's an amazing documentary. Like it just features interviews with, you know, interviews with his family, friends, uh, notable cast members, uh, a bunch of crew members that have worked with him over the years and, and on a lot of his films and, you know, some film critics and historians. Um, and they just have great insight into, you know, what he was going through during this, during certain points of his career, like the impact of his film uh catalog on culture and you know america's film psyche as a whole um it's just it's just awesome i i loved watching it spielberg's one of my favorite directors he's got to be in my top five favorite directors of all time um it's just it was really compelling to listen to you know production stories about and and see like behind the scenes footage on set of you know Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan and Jurassic Park like there's so many Jaws yeah. ET like it's he, absurd his career yeah. is absolutely absurd like it's it's I think we're at a point where if you don't like if if you say like if you don't think he's the greatest of all time you're just trying to be like cute with your opinion I mean it's <laughs> like if you just if like if you just made say Raiders of Lost Ark ET and Jaws and then he made right. a bunch of crap he would <laughs> yeah. still be considered one of the best directors like, of all yeah, time that's Steven Spielberg but, he's um, great. Yeah. Oh, but then he made Jurassic Park, Saving Private Ryan, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Schindler's List, Catch Me If You Can, Minority Report, Lincoln, Munich. Like, it's Munich. just insane. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mu- oh, and throw in Munich. You know, it's just um, absurd. And uh, I really liked how this documentary doesn't spend really time on, like, his origins or, like, before he was a director. It's really just a celebration of all his key films. And they yeah. kind of go one by one, spend about five to ten minutes on them uh, chronologically, you know, kind of mm. starting with Duel and then Jaws and... Um, I think Spielberg too, like he's featured obviously throughout the documentary a lot and he's just naturally energetic and eloquent in his interviews and yeah. he just seems like a really wholesome, like great guy. Like he's never been involved in like any scandal. Right. And it's just like, he's yeah, just his family this man. amazing director. Yeah, uh-huh. totally. So, uh, and he works Jeff with Goldblum like, Bloom is featured as well. Gotta, yeah, definitely. Shout out him our boy, our boy, my Goldblum. favorite, my favorite, my favorite minute of the, yeah, of the <laughs> yeah, that's good that you pointed that out. Yeah. Okay. He's such a wholesome man, like you said, and 
he's created this family of filmmakers. Uh, like he works with the same people over and over and over again. Like mm-hmm. I think it said since um, Schindler's List, he's had the same editor and same cinematographer for every film. He uses John Williams for his uh, for his scores and as his composer. Uh, you know, he has Kathleen Kennedy has been his producer for many films. So like he just has created this world where and he says it in the documentary that he he wouldn't know how to make a movie without these people at this point because they work together so well and they they're able to like spit out content so quickly because they know, you know, what the other person wants and everything. So. Yeah, I found that fascinating. Um, I also loved the the stuff about the group of directors in the seventies. Um, yeah, so George it's Lucas it's and yeah Spielberg, yeah. Scorsese, Brian De Palma, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, and George Lucas. Um, and the, they were like the biggest directors out at the time. You know, the biggest filmmakers going, and they became really close friends, and they collaborated together a lot, and they you know, gave each other tips and helped each other out on movies. So I thought that was really cool to see some of the behind the scene footage of that and then hear interviews with those people about, you know, reflecting on Scorsese's, or I'm sorry, uh, Spielberg's impact on on film culture and and just talk about his career. That was very cool to see. Yeah, Um, I was going to say a couple like, yeah, tidbits that that stood out for me in in this doc is, um, I mean, just one insane fact about his career is that he made Schindler's List and Jurassic Park in the same year. Like they were released in the same year. At the same time. Right. Yeah, Yeah, like two like two movies that are like extremely important and remarkable in completely different ways. And in releasing Schindler's List won Best Picture and he won Best Director for Jurassic Park you could make the argument is one of the greatest blockbusters of all time. You know it's Oh yeah. It changed it changed filmmaking forever because right. it featured the first ever computer generated character quote unquote yeah which, well, i was gonna the say dinosaurs. Um, a line that really stood out to me when they were, when they were talking about jurassic park is they're saying the first time they were see, seeing like the cgi at play with the raptors it was like mm-hmm. hearing sound for the first time right um it was in, like this, in movies, yeah. this whole new era of like if you could imagine it you could do it and it just opened this entire pandora's box so yeah it's like going really from cool. black and white to color right right and um you know, speaking of Schindler's List too, is that I thought it was interesting how he said that for making that movie, he wanted to throw out everything he knew, really strip it down. There was no storyboarding and he wanted to make it feel like it was his first ever movie. And uh-huh. it's so different from his entire catalog, um, you know, and, and I just thought it was interesting to hear him talk. Especially about up to that. that point. Yeah, to- <clears throat> oh, totally, totally. Uh, it was funny. Um, he's wearing the Jurassic Park hat on the set of Schindler's List. I, I love that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the um, Saving Private Ryan, you know, that amazing opening scene took yeah. 27 days to film, Wow, which is just, yeah, that's, that's crazy. And I loved how I he, mean, he, yeah. he told the, uh, the camera operators that were on set to just use their, their own eye to f- figure out what to shoot. Like he didn't tell them, you know, do this angle or shoot that guy's face. It was just like, we're going to set up this battle we're going to have 20 cameras and you guys shoot what looks important to you. And you know, that's how they filmed D day. Like it was very, it was actually filmed and a lot of the footage I'm sure inspired a lot of the shots you see in the, in that scene. Yeah. Another movie too. I, 
and made me really want to rewatch. I think I've only seen it once was Munich and the way they break down that car bomb scene. Yeah. Uh, and just kind of the geography of it all and just kind of the thinking that went behind it. It just it's a really great movie. made me want to rewatch that. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, I've only, I've only seen, seen it. Seen it. Yeah. yeah. I've probably only seen it once or twice. I actually have the DVD, but yeah. I don't think I've watched it since I bought it. Yeah. Um, uh, one last tidbit about Spielberg that's not really mentioned in the documentary, but I thought it was a fun fact about him and his career. He's responsible for, you probably know this, um, for creating the PG-13 rating. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the Motion Picture Association of America, MPAA, uh, at the time, in 1984, only had R and then PG right. uh, and then G. And uh, Indiana Jones' <clears throat> Temple of Doom came out, which he directed, and parents were – it got the PG rating, and parents were apparently outraged coming out of the movie saying it like, you know, kids shouldn't be watching a guy get his heart ripped out, you know. <laughs> um, and then uh, two weeks later, a film called Gremlins came out, which Spielberg also produced, um, and it had the same effect. You know, parents took four-year-olds to go see it, and – kids were crying or whatever it's this horror graphic horror film uh so he worked together with the mpaa to create this pg-13 rating like somewhere in the middle between pg and r so it's a it's a fun fact about spielberg yeah i didn't know that with uh temple of doom and whatnot so you've uh the more you know thanks for the knowledge um sure man so do we want to talk about blade runner 2049 which i actually haven't seen yet because i haven't found four hours yeah (laughs) such a long movie i actually bought a matinee ticket to see this last saturday oh really didn't end up going which i think is the first time i've ever done that just because i like look at you big spender right yeah 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 Yeah, i mean i just just twelve dollars means nothing to me um but it was i mean it was like at the alamo and i was excited just like the day of i was like there was just like a lot of other things I wanted to yeah. do that day. And I was just kind of like, uh, I don't want to, I can't do I want to do this two right. hour, 44 minute epic. Yeah. And you know, I mean, not that I have a problem with long movies, but it's just like sure. a matter of like finding the time yeah. in your life to do that. So, but you did see it. And I, did. Um, I think you wanted to say a few things about it. So yeah, I, I don't have a ton away. to say about it, especially since you haven't seen it. I won't spoil right. anything. Um, it's been did out for a few weeks. Like it? um yes i did like it um i didn't love it excuse me i liked it um it's i guess you call it a remake or a continuation of the 1982 ridley scott film called blade runner um which has like 46 different versions uh you know depends on which one you watch uh this one's directed by denis villeneuve um it's two hours 44 minutes like i said uh ryan gosling harrison ford dave batista robin wright uh, and then this uh, Anna de Armas, who plays this character named Joy, who's this uh, sort of like computer generated android. Uh, she's she's an amazing she ha- she gives an amazing performance. I loved her in this movie. Um, Jared Leto's in it for like two or three scenes. I'm not even sure. Oh, um, yeah. He, yeah, he's on the he's on the, like the all the movie posters. He's obviously a big face and everything, but he's not really in the movie a lot. And I didn't quite understand his character. Um, I found myself sort of uh, just looking at this movie more than really paying attention to the plot and the, and like the dialogue. I heard it's pretty convoluted. And it is very philosophical. Convoluted. And you're like, yeah. what is that? and I don't like love 
those types of movies that are like you have no idea and it's like what does it all mean in a way right. that like is so entangled and confusing and yeah. like these like big picture questions like right unless you're like really sticking the landing sometimes when movies they like i don't know it doesn't really like it's not like my favorite doesn't matter experience yeah. but i heard it is gorgeous to look at um, right so well that's I, what i, I will want. see it yeah, yeah yeah that's what i wanted to say i just found myself sort of watching the the shots and the the cinematography um it was more of just like an experiential uh thing like it was you just experienced the movie rather than were struck by like the story and and the outcome and things um at least that's what i took away from it um yeah so the the cinematographer is roger deakins who you know is most known for doing pretty much every coen brothers movie and a lot of really great films over the past 20 years 30 years um to me, he's my favorite cinematographer, and I wanted to mention it's criminal that he's never won an Academy Award. He has yeah, thir- probably win for this. He might, yeah. Like a- I'm sure he'll be nominated, no doubt. He has 13 nominations and never has won. And he he actually was nominated twice in the same year for assassinations or the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford mm. and No Country for Old Men. Oh both, my god. Uh, yeah, both in the same year, but he lost to Robert Els- Elswit, who did uh, "There Will Be Blood." So oh, I you know, can't get mad at that. Tough, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. God, one. what a what a uh, year for cinematography! Jesus. I know, unbelievable. Yeah, those the, those three, na- yeah, those three movies are definitely three of my top top ten of the pe- of this century so far. But um, yeah, so I don't know. It has already made its uh, its budget back uh, worldwide. I saw its oh. its budget was estimated at 150 million, and I think it's already it's already surpassed that worldwide box office. So you know it it's must not have like done a, worldwide. It did bomb its opening weekend though in the U.S. Yeah, in America, I think it only did like 38 million or something, which is I guess seen as a bomb. But Considering, yeah, yeah uh, how much it spent. But yeah, no, I, I I will see it, and uh, when I do, if feel compelled enough to talk about all the theories that I'm sure emerge from it. We can, we can pick it back up. But, I'm sure uh, you won't. <laughs> I don't have any feelings about like, was, not compelled he, a, to, to, was yeah, he a replicant or was that a human or yeah, and was so, that you know, a computer? Like I just the don't movie care. has a big <laughs> fan base of people that do care about it, but yeah, neither of us really do, I guess. So um, yeah. let's talk, uh, let's move into our final subject, which I know we're psyched out of our minds to finally yes. hit on. And that is, Kind of just the subject of vinyl records, and yes. it stems from I finally bought a record player after nice. kind of years of holding out for so long. So happy it's kind to of hear waiting that. to to move into this new apartment. Yeah, it was only a matter of time. I mean, music is like my number one passion, and obviously there's been this huge renaissance in vinyl. Uh-huh. I love the experience of you know listening to records front to back and collecting them and stuff. So um, finally. Uh, took the plunge and <laughs> pulled the trigger i am feeling the the addiction yeah. and really oh, really loving it this is great um and rob i know you're i mean you're a heavy collector of things in general <laughs> <Period>. <laughs> vinyl is no exception yeah you have quite a collection i want to just point out at the jump that my first so my the first four records that i bought were the beatles white album nice Dr. Dre's The Chronic. Nice. Which is on, on Spotify too. Like it's, you know, one of these decisions where I was like, well, I can't even, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm an Apple music user. Like I want to listen to this record. <laughs> I have that. I have that also. The Chronic, 
this one, I'm, this next one, I'm sure you have as well. You probably have all, all of these, but uh, In Rainbows, Radiohead, my oh, yeah. favorite record of theirs. Duh. And, I mean, this one, I don't even, In Reasonable Doubt, Jay-Z. Oh, I actually, do you not have that? wow, I do not have Reasonable Doubt. And it's like, it, I mean, it's number one on my I Want That Record list because it's oh, my yeah, favorite yeah. rap album of all time. Wow, how much did you pay for that? Uh, you know, $400. No, it was like uh, 30 bucks off Amazon, I think. Oh, okay. Um, wow. So. That's, yeah. I had already, I've always seen it as like 40 or $50 and I just yeah, never, could, I could never justify paying that, but 30, I would definitely pay for it. Cause it's, yeah. like I said, my favorite rap album. That's awesome. I'm glad you have that. I, yeah, I have a it, black album by Jay-Z, but I don't have reasonable doubt. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a, I'm going to pat myself on the back and say that's a really strong four that is a, out, out the gate. That's a strong um, top four. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I will say since getting that first batch, I've already bought like five more, but oh, I wow. wanted to point out the four that, uh, I, I like my first, you know, set that I yeah. bought. Um, so I wanted to ask you, well, do you want me for to me, do my top four or first four first records? Four, yeah, do you have do you have that on your? Well, no. Go go into what you were about to say. I, I was going to say like what I'm looking for when I'm selecting a vinyl record to buy, uh-huh. which I've kind of already determined this, even though I'm I'm new to the game here. But sure. uh, one, of course, it's the quality of the album itself and the artist, and right. you know just that which is kind of a no-brainer. But yeah, something that you want to listen to all the way through. Yeah, totally. Um. The album artwork, it totally having this large format and kind of, I didn't even realize like when you pull out the vinyl record, like all the, there'll be like, like one sheets and like posters and like, you know, the lyrics and it's just like a whole other experience that streaming as much as I love it is not even a part of the music. You're so detached from that. Yeah. Right. So that like is a whole other, um, you know, element that, you know, you can make your purchasing decision from and <laughs> yeah also like the era it was recorded in i mean mm-hmm. i think um i'm not going to be getting too many records you know that were made in like necessarily the last 20 years obviously you know in rainbows is an exception there and there's others yeah. that i kind of want to get but in general like i think it's best to buy records that were made at the time where yes. vinyl was kind of the only option and it was right. recorded in that way um with you know having the sides in mind which is like something mm-hmm. i didn't even realize like I really dig how records are split into those sides. It's just a new way to experience and think about the album. Yeah. Something I wasn't doing beforehand, like, oh yeah, side two of Abbey Road is like awesome, you know, or things right. like that. Um, or it's, it's like almost the like, first song on a new side, like sets up the tone for, for the it's rest almost, of the yeah, album. Yeah. Breaking an album into four different ways that you haven't yeah. looked at it before. And also just like strength of the album sequencing. So just yeah, right. things that are really great. Listen from front to back. Totally. Um, and you actually had uh, my parents who were visiting uh, this weekend and um, my girlfriend Becky's parents over last night. We had like a dinner party for a new apartment. So mm-hmm. I, of course, was breaking out the vinyl player. Oh, yeah. And I uh, was working it. It was like um, <laughs> I couldn't help but think that this is like what I was doing. You know, you have to change them, you know, once every like 15, 20 minutes, depending right. on how long a side is. And it was like the original like playlist thing, but like very yeah. manual. And it's it Definitely. was... Uh, it was definitely different to do that where we're used to, you know, the, the Spotify playlist at a party and things that yeah. you already preset and you're just like clicking buttons. Uh-huh. But I really, I really enjoy that process. There's just something so satisfying yeah. about taking the record out of the sleeve, placing it in the player, dropping oh, the needle. Man. 
it's yeah, you're speaking it, my language here, but right, this yeah, is yeah, making yeah. me so happy. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, I yeah. I have had this feeling for since college. Um, college was yeah, when did I you really, buy a vinyl like at a pawn shop? Like, I did. Uh, I was gonna mention that. I you're bought way my... ahead of your time. Though, that was before <laughs> yeah. vinyl was like became you know had its resurgence. Yeah, it was like a few years before that. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for yeah. thanks for pointing that Credit. out. Um, I bought my first record player. Uh, it was a wooden. Detrola box player uh, with stereo speakers built in um, from this like hippie guy in Radford uh, on on this shop in Main, on Main Street in Radford. No, Main um, Street. Yeah, we just went there. It was like a little past campus, like not that that you know main Main Street section, uh, but like past uh, where you turn off to go to Christiansburg. There was some shop a little bit further down. Uh, I walked in there one day and we were just looking for like random stuff for a party or something. I don't even remember, but yeah, you weren't intending to buy. a record No, player not necessarily. No. Um, and I saw this record player. And so I had always had a copy of the beach boys album, endless summer. And mm. I always had that in my room. I think it was my mom's copy. And I was always just struck by like the cover and the album art like you mentioned and it's like wow it's so big and you know like (laughs) it's crazy that like music comes out of this vinyl uh you know the needle just draws out the music like how does this work you know (laughs) like as a kid um but so i always had that and it's always sort of in the back of my mind but then i saw this record player and i was like you know it'd be fun to have this and like play records and and then once I did, um, well, also, so that day I also bought um, Thriller by Michael Jackson, obviously. Um, so that was officially the first record I ever bought, uh, which I thought was a good one because you open it up and it has young, uh, you know, 20 whatever year old Michael Jackson sitting there with the baby tiger. Oh, and it's yeah, just yeah. like this I- iconic image. And I was like, man, this is such a cool, like, I'm going to buy this album just for the picture on the inside of the jacket you know it's so cool and there's just something like you said about the physical media like holding it in your hand you know the picture is so large there's like lyric books and uh you know the all these little like anecdotes in the inside and on the back and yeah it's just awesome i love walking out of a store like with five new records and your little paper brown bag mm-hmm. and getting them home and you know putting them in your in Taking your shelf or them, whatever organizing yeah them, i'm i'm just them, I, yeah, yeah. I sound like a psycho collector <laughs> but i mean there's just really something to be said yeah. for it and it, it's very satisfying uh when you pull out a record and you know look through it and play it um i wanted to ask you what your I, I might know the answer to this question, but I wanted to ask you what the most obscure thing in your collection is. Okay, um, is it the is it the soundtrack to Barry Lyndon? <laughs> that so I do have the soundtrack to Barry Lyndon. Um, so I'll just give you a little background on my collection real quick. Um, I have over two hundred twelve inch LP records now, um, and over that's a lot. That's a lot to move too. When you I mean, totally, dude, I was gonna say. They're so heavy. Yeah. When you get like more than twenty in your hands, it's I mean, it's like serious weight. Like each record weighs like, I don't know, close to a pound. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there it's it's a serious undertaking to move them across the country. I recommend a large wooden box. Mm. Uh anyway, 
So I have 212 inch LPs, over 200. I think it's probably around 220 or so. Um, I have over 345s, uh, which I inherited from Kyle Kolbenstetter's mm. um, family friend. I was about to say, uh, yeah, where, a, where'd you get 345? I haven't actually bought, I have not bought one single 45, but I inherited this collection um, from our friend Kyle's uh, family friend that passed away and un- unfortunately passed away. But uh, he he went over to the house to look at, you know, getting some things and he took these 45s and I looked through them and there were some, you know, classics in there uh you know beatles and rolling stones whatever so i i just gave kyle 50 bucks for it and now i have that collection of <laughs> over 345s yeah, yeah, yeah good good deal for both of us because right. i don't think he was going to do anything with right, them right. but uh, my my dream actually is to eventually purchase a uh customizable jukebox that plays 45s that i can uh create this like 200 plus song jukebox full of like classic that's the so, long yeah it, grand vision it's the i'm playing the long yeah. i'm playing the long game on this one yeah. i it's one of the main reasons i even wanted to keep them but they i mean if you go to some record stores they sell those 45s for like ten dollars each like they're they definitely have value but um yeah so getting into my my weird uh my most obscure things i mentioned earlier that i love soundtrack soundtracks on vinyl mm. Um, I do have Barry Lyndon, like you said, I have Young Frankenstein. I have over 40, 45 soundtracks now. Um, it's one of the things when I go into a store, I always look at the soundtrack section just to see what's out there. Um, the idea behind this really is I want to, I mean, I love, I love scores. I love soundtracks. Um, and a lot of them are like compilation albums with a lot of, you know, great songs from that era. Um, but my my long game on this one is uh, I want to have like a theater room in my eventual dream home, um, and I want to hang soundtracks on the wall rather than movie posters. Yeah, yeah. So uh, these are like the perfect you know frameable items. Yeah, they make great album art. I have some of my new apartment. Um, yeah, it's always like an easy win if you're looking to uh, decorate your walls with some cool stuff. Totally. I I currently have six uh, soundtracks framed on my wall. So yeah. Um, obscure things. I have, uh, 12 Dave Brubeck records, <laughs> classic jazz pianist, uh, who I wow. love. Yeah. I just got into them. Uh, so my stepdad introduced me to the timeout record timeout, excuse me, uh, which is like his, it's the most sold jazz album in history. Um, and I had never heard it and my stepdad introduced me and I loved it. And I just fell in love with Dave Brubeck and his piano playing. And he, he collaborated with a lot of the most prominent jazz musicians of like the fifties, sixties, forties, seventies, you know, a long, long stretch of time there. Um, so I have 12 of his albums. I just buy them if I see them and they're not overpriced. Um, I have a bunch of Duke Ellington albums, I think six, uh, mentioned earlier, played by Jordan Peele and Big Mouth. Um, mm. So the I have to say probably the most obscure, I mean, I have some really weird things. Like I buy a lot of records for a dollar, you know? Right, um, why not? If I see them and it's like something like, oh, that might be good or, you know, I've heard that song or this artist or whatever. But I did buy this um, Smithsonian collection of classic jazz. It's yeah. a box set with six records um, and it just features 50 prominent jazz musicians. Yeah. I've become a jazz 
ja- I've become yeah, right. a you bit of a jazz head. guy. Right. Like I, I like listening to it uh, when I'm yeah. working on something on my computer yeah, yeah, or yeah. Uh, you know doing dishes or cleaning. I just I enjoy jazz. Yeah, good it, for productivity. It stimulates the mind. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. I think I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna be. Uh, I think I have one jazz record right now, but that's something I'll definitely be be investigating as I build nice. build my collection. I got a long way to go to get up to your. Uh, it's a little disgusting. Yeah. No, <laughs> I Three I've always been a collector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've always been a, a collector. Surprise. I've always had like the one thing that I love buying. I have to say, I, I have tapered off my my record purchasing quite a bit. Like I I think I've only bought two since I've lived in California. So yeah. I have t- I've I've settled down with it. <laughs> but I do love having the collection and something that. Yeah, you know they'll last forever. It's something that I'll probably buy records forever now. But um, I wanted to ask you what kind of record player you got. So I got a Audio Technica. Forget the exact nice. model. It was doing after doing is some it the LP six hundred. Um, I don't know. Probably the head, but that's the most it popular. Is one, yeah, it's one. It's not automatic. I wanted one that I can you know. I'm controlling the needle and dropping it. I want it to be in control of all that. Yeah. Um, it's silver. Yeah, definitely kind of more like state of the art. It was really well reviewed on Amazon. I, nice. I asked a few of you know, my f- friends for other recommendations. And um, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's nestled nicely in our corner of our, our new apartment. And um, um, yeah, really looking forward to, uh, yeah, I mean, both like collecting and also just Still like learning the the terminology and like reading sure. just kind of the manual, setting it up. It was almost like another language, but yeah. uh, it's definitely you know it's it's like a new experience and it's something that like you know I've been listening to music my whole life, but it feels like it's it's new. You know, you're just kind of rediscovering it in a new yeah. way, and it's like wow, this is amazing. Like yeah. I, I thought I like had experienced all the way, you know. And if you're you know someone that um, listens to music as much as I do or you do, you know, it, it's cool to like just open up this like whole new world that, yeah, that you totally. haven't experienced. And, uh, yeah, I recommend, so I have the Audio Technica AP 600. I said LP, but it's the AP 600. Uh, it's probably the most popular, uh, Audio Technica player. It's very standard. Um, but I have it hooked up to my Sony 5.1 surround system and it sounds awesome. Um, I, I, the, the depth and, quality and and warmth of the sound that comes from records is something that i loved instantly and it just does sound different like sure maybe that sounds uh pompous and douchey or <laughs> well it's a different yeah it's an entirely different medium it's i mean mixed differently it's a higher dynamic range of of audio so yeah it's just it is better <laughs> yes yes so we could talk final forever i know we're, we're getting at like the uh hour 15 mark but yeah. we'll, we'll definitely do like vinyl recommendation segments like by genre and things like that um going forward quick recommendation to you i I recommend you get a compressed air duster to blow off your needle okay um you don't want to you don't want to touch your needle ben okay i I haven't so if it gets a little dusty just hit it with that compressed air and then i also recommend the rca vinyl cleaning kit Mm. something that you you need will do noted (laughs) um so i think in our next episode we're definitely going to talk about the phenomenon that will be season two of stranger things. So be on the lookout for that. Um, we'll probably try to try to uh, release that the week after it's, um, 
it's out. Um, so that is it for this episode. Uh, must go faster. Thanks so much as always for listening. Um, just a reminder, if you like what you heard, please remember to rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher. Tell a friend about us and uh, check out our website, mustgofasterpod.com for links to all our other episodes. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. Like Ben said, really appreciate it. Appreciate all feedback and share with anybody you think would love it or like it. Um, And everybody enjoy Stranger Things 2 this weekend.